Welcome, folks. This is Mark Steiner, and welcome to another one of our podcasts. Of course, this is a special podcast because we're leading up to the Annapolis Summit, uh, which takes place on January the 10th uh, in Annapolis at the Calvert House, where I will be uh, interviewing the governor, the president of the Senate, speaker of the House, as we've done every year for 15 years with our print partner, The Daily Record. We'll give you information at the end of this uh, podcast about how you can get your tickets and join us that morning. It's a huge event. It uh, kicks off the session, and we cover the issues that will be affecting the legislative debates uh, during these podcasts leading up to uh, the, the summit, along with the articles printed in The Daily Record. Today, we're going to deal with the question of violence in Baltimore and gun violence in Baltimore and the murder rate in Baltimore. What could be a legislative response? The Daily Record has printed an article about this. Uh, two of the people in that article are joining us uh, by, uh, by phone today for this podcast. Senator Will Smith, who uh, is a Democrat representing District 20 in Montgomery County, and Senator Wayne Norman Jr., who is a Republican representing District 35 in Cecil on Harvard Counties. And in studio is Delegate Corey McRae, who is a Democrat, represents the 45th District on the east side of Baltimore, uh, Baltimore City, that is, to be clear, uh, and is also running for the Senate. So, so welcome. Good to have the three of you with us. Trying to make sure they're my colleagues. Thanks, Mark. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, let's just begin. And and I, I mean, you were quoted early on in this article, Senator Smith, about the 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 kind of dire conditions are being faced. But let's talk what the issues you think will be, and how does the state legislature address issues that affect a locality like Baltimore with the crime rate we have and the murder rate that seems to be soaring. So, what 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 can be a legislative response? Well, first, thanks for having us on. And, you know, in the Navy, we have a, a saying that there is there's no such thing as a hole in your side of our boat. And in other words, <laughs> we're all in this together. What affects Baltimore affects all of us. And it's definitely our responsibility in the legislature from all across the state uh, to address this issue. So the Baltimore is the crown jewel of our state. And we're all very concerned about it. And while we've had 317, I think we're at right now, homicides this year, Baltimore City's got a population of a little over 600,000. When you think about that in comparison to something like New York, we have close to 9 million people, and they've got somewhere close to 200 homicides. Uh, it's pretty obvious we've got a big problem. And uh, one of the things I think that we should focus on is, and one thing I think gets lost in the debate with the violence and police relationships is really the economics, pulling back to the systemic problems that we have. And I'm talking about transportation, housing, education, jobs. Uh, those are the things that will get us out of this long-term spiral that has led to the, the, the violent crisis that I think we have right before us. So while we do have a lot to do with dealing with DOJ investigation and, and Mayor Pugh's plan to end violence, we have to keep our eye on the ball with respect to economic empowerment to pull us out of this long-term cycle. And that's really what I was talking about in the article. So, and, and Senator Norman, um, let me let you leap in here. I mean, again, from from your perspective, what is it the legislature can do? I mean, this is clearly an issue that um, it's about Baltimore City. Mark, I think Senator Smith was right when he talked about systemic problems. Look, I used to spend a lot of time in Baltimore City. I went to college four years, Baltimore down on Charles Street, three years in law school, and I love Baltimore City. My wife and I spent so much Tarver Place going to the museums, going to the zoo, and Baltimore now is a scary place. And uh, Delegate Anderson's been talking about the, the great job safe streets are doing in Baltimore City. Well, crime has gone up, up, up. So it, it's not a matter of just a simple program 
or, or dumping more money into it. I, I, I was talking with one of the lawyers here in my office. They said, you know, a middle school student, a public education middle school student in Baltimore City is more likely to be murdered than to pass a mathematics achievement test because nobody is passing the mathematics achievement test in Baltimore City. So, so the, to me, where do you start? You start with the family. Certainly the family is very important to me. Good jobs, just huge. Being a squeegee kid is not a good job. So we need better family environment. We need better education, and we need good jobs. I suggest, in my mind, we, we need to start not with funding education more appropriately, because Baltimore City Board Ed, that administration is in the top 10 highest paid administrations in the country. We need to start having ramifications for educators who are dummying up examination response. That's what we need. If, I honestly believe if it was a misdemeanor to fake a kid's report card, kids would be getting a better education, a, a public education in Baltimore City. So before I jump into a series of questions here, Delegate McCray, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so actually being born and raised from the city of Baltimore, I think that uh, Senator Smith makes some great points in reference to economic opportunities. Um, that's why I've continuously focused on apprenticeship opportunities, making sure that we can see what the state actually can do. The state appropriates dollars, $4.7 million to be exact, that came to my district this past year. But making sure that those folks that get those dollars create opportunities for more people instead of just building a building. So making sure that those folks on those projects are actually in registered apprenticeship programs and that they actually come from those neighborhoods is a very, very good point. So that's why I agree with uh, Senator Smith from that uh, aspect. Then Senator Norman made some good points in reference to educational uh, opportunities. I always say that some of the stuff that is happening in our neighborhoods is self-inflicted. I will raise uh, the 21st century schools is what we were talking about uh, previously. When you look at the disparity in reference to some districts getting seven schools, six schools, five schools, four schools, and you see the most poorest district outside of Santana and Winchester and West Baltimore, the heart of East Baltimore, only getting two schools, I think that we have a problem there. When we talk about building maintenance and the lowest dollar appropriation coming to the poorest districts from 2010 to 2015, those types of things are setting us up for failure even more. And what happens is those those challenges are spilling into other neighborhoods that do do well. Um, I think that, Senator Norman, I would challenge you on a program with Safe Streets. So with Safe Streets, that's only in three neighborhoods. In the neighborhood that I represent with McEldry Park, that has some of the lowest crime because of Safe Streets being in those neighborhoods. I know that uh, Dr. Wynn, it runs out of the health department. She was trying to get funding uh, from the governor's office. I think the governor's office gave it to us in 2016. But that is one of the programs that we know will work. What's some other things that the state could do that's not legislatively but could immediately do um, right now is, is one of the things that I think about. And we actually sent the letter as the legislature for Baltimore more city delegates and senators um, to the governor. We talked about state troopers. State troopers used to police the Bel Air Road, the Hoff Road, the Washington Boulevard uh, corridors, not in the immediate city, but right there on the, uh, the outskirts doing seatbelt checks and things of that nature. We had a, a better partnership with uh, our state troopers. The second thing would be our probation officers. A lot of times when you talk about these violent offenders, they're in and out, in and out, Mark. And what happens when uh, uh, several years ago, there used to be several probation officers in a 
nine police districts that we have, but you'll see that it's like one or two or three for nine police districts right now. So if you're getting those violent criminals out there, the police, the paro- the, the probation officers know who they are. They can immediately uh, take them off the streets, but we don't have them partnering with our Baltimore City Police, and we could do a better job from that aspect of it. And, uh, and uh, Corey, other thing- can I jump in there? Yes, sir, you can. I, I still had a little bit more to go. I, I agree can. with you 100% that there's a problem with the in-and-out in and out syndrome. Uh, you know, we talked about that in Boston when we were up there. It, it, it's important. There has to be ramifications. And is that a problem with the judiciary when a 10-year-old can be arrested for having a handgun in his possession, released, and then within 10 days rearrested with another handgun? But that's the judiciary's issue. Well, and, of well, course, as legislators, I was bringing up the, we the, can't the, tell the judiciary what to do. Yep, I was bringing up the probation officer part okay. of it, uh, Senator Norman. So one one of the things that we used to have, we used to have two or three probation officers in the nine police. So the Northeastern District had the probation officers working hand in hand so that if someone came in the Northeastern District and got locked up, the uh, probation officer was there to violate them, especially if it was a gun, if it was something that was uh, a, a violent offense. They were right there. They're not there right now. And, and these violent offenders are, like you said, going right back to the street when we can take them off the street for several months immediately if we had them partner so, with So us. let me throw something out here. And, Senator Smith, let me bring you back in the conversation here. So so one of the, so I hear what everybody's saying. There is a mind, there is a thought in Baltimore among some people that you cannot police your way out of this problem nor lock your way up out of this problem. Mm-hmm. And I heard what you said, Senator Norman, but the number of 10-year-olds with guns is minuscule in Baltimore. 10-year-olds do not run on the streets of Baltimore with guns. That happens, but it's not like happening with every you know, the, the, the majority of kids. And I, I haven't heard of a 10-year-old that <laughs> had a gun, gun. too soon. I, I didn't but, even think about what you were saying. But, 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 it was on the news yesterday. <laughs> yeah, I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but that is not the norm. And 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 uh, and I'm, this is my city, too. I grew up here and, 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 and grew up in the neighborhoods that we're talking about. Um, but the question is, you know, we mentioned safe streets, Senator Smith. I mean, what what kind of debates can you have in the legislature, in the Senate and House, around where money goes and how it's spent? Um, one of the things we know from safe streets is it almost lost its funding. Um, they had to fight to get more funding in. And in those neighborhoods where safe streets is wor- are working, that the murder rate is lower than in other neighborhoods because of the nature of the work that these men and women do in safe streets. Very true. Uh, who come out of prison and then work with people in the streets with a kind of respect. So, I mean, what is there a chance to have a real conversation inside the legislature, uh, whether it's a task force or inside during the session, about what an alternative plan could be? Um, yeah, the bad guys have to get off the street. You need to take the, the worst players out of commission. There's no question. But most people are, don't fit that category. So where would you start, Senator Smith? Sir, I thank you for the question. You know, look, I, I agree with uh, Delegate McCray that initiatives like Safe Streets in areas like Cherry Hill, McElderry Park, Park Heights, Sanchez, and Wintown have had a tremendous effect on recidivism and with turning people's lives around. So, I mean, I think the data points are actually there to support that. And those are initiatives that we should be involved in and understand. There's something, you know, the criminal, the City Criminal Justice Coordinating Council, which was recently defunded by the governor, um, that's that, those are initiatives that come out of those coordinating councils. Ideas just like that that can be implemented on the ground are things that we need to be looking at from across the state. So I completely agree with what Delegate McRae is talking about. I and mean, this is a big problem in Maryland. One-third of the Maryland residents in our prison are from Baltimore City. Um, and that comes at a huge cost every year. That's why we went through a whole justice reinvestment process 
Um, and so it's something that, you know, one thing I, th- I think that we definitely don't need to be doing is talking about the mandatory minimums. And when we talk about the handgun problem, I think that's in the wrong direction for not only nonviolent drug crimes, but for things like the gun, you know, the bill that died in the council. That's, that's an idea that I think that is anathema to solutions that we know work in the city and that we have the data points to prove that have worked and that will save us money, uh, jobs, opportunity, and lives uh, down the road by not incarcerating, frankly, so many black young black men um, from the city. So these are ideas that I think are going to be at the forefront of our committee in judicial proceedings. They're going to be at the forefront of the entire uh, uh assembly next year and i think that's something we need to drive towards just looking at the real numbers and on the ground experiences that we have substantiated by the data points safe streets is a perfect example of that if you ask me so let me ask this next question and i'll let you start senator norman and we'll go around the table here so and, and it's a and it's a huge question i think there's a question that raises some perhaps some ideological differences across the aisle but let me just throw it out um that people in baltimore communities and other communities around the state, actually, but Baltimore communities specifically we're talking about here, um, that are the poorest communities in, 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 in Baltimore and among the poorest in the state, are not just poor communities like they used to be poor communities when I was growing up, as an old man speaking here, <laughs> but, but they are isolated and desolated communities, boarded up houses, uh, underemployment, mothers and fathers who work are working two and three jobs to make ends meet, and... There's very little time for family because there's no programs for kids, and people are working really work, working hard to just survive, uh, and and it's almost like people feeling abandoned. So it's the question of what kind of investment do you have to make in communities around jobs, education, more whatever that, however you want to debate that, and what role does that play uh, in in the long term strategy of dealing with crime because. You just can't, you mean, we, you know, if a 10-year-old is caught with a gun, we'll get to that later. I'm going to get sidetracked there. Or I want to reiterate, I love Baltimore City. Don't get me wrong, but I'm, critis- I, I, I'm critical of what's going on in Baltimore City. And I don't know which one of us is older, you or me, but I know we're both <laughs> older than, than my good delegate friend and my Senate friend. <laughs> Baltimore City is a different place than it was three decades ago when I spent years in Baltimore City. Carroll County recently indicated no more field trips to Baltimore City because their Board of Education recognizes there are issues in Baltimore City that they don't want to, to, to become involved with. What, is, what we need to do is to get more jobs in Baltimore City. We need to lower taxes. We, I don't think we need a minimum wage at $15 an hour. Because those jobs are going to leave. They're going to leave. Uh, mandatory sick leave. It, it, it's a huge stress on the businesses that decide to locate in downtown Baltimore. Um, we need to bring jobs in. And I think Governor Hogan has done a, a, a huge job. Under the, I, I knew Martin O'Malley. Under the O'Malley administration, we had 80 new taxes in eight years. In, in two sessions, 80 new taxes, and Larry Hogan hasn't raised a single tax. And, in fact, out in the, in the sticks where I am, in the suburbs, he cut all our tolls, and he was able to do that with no increase. That's what drives industry, and that's what brings businesses in. Uh, we lost Beretta. Now, Beretta wasn't doing business in Baltimore City. They were on the eastern shore, 
uh, but we drove that business down with taxes and regulation. And I believe I, I saw somewhere where the Hogan administration has cut regulations by like 10 percent in his first three years in office, which that's what brings business. And that's what brings good jobs. And, and that's what we need to do. In my Mark, humble if, opinion, <laughs> if, if I could interject, Senator Smith, I, go ahead. Then we'll go to Delegate McCoy. Sure, sure. Just really McCray, quickly. Excuse. I mean, with the, I agree with, with Senator Norman on one thing: is that we definitely it's all interconnected, and we do need the jobs, we do need the education, we do need the transportation, we need the housing. Retention, paid sick leave, it has been shown to, to increase retention of employees, and employees that have that availability, that earned sick leave, can are more productive when they're on the job, their families are more stable, they're better off, they stay with the job longer. Minimum wage definitely has to come up because it's not just that's not it's not just a job for college kids or for people that are doing summer work. More and more people uh, throughout the nation in our state are supporting families on that minimum wage job or two minimum wage jobs. And with respect to the taxes, You've got things, the gimmicky things like the toll, which robs our transportation infrastructure fund of $54 million. I hear you've got a pretty big tunnel up there in Baltimore City right by the port. They could expand economic opportunity and attract more industry here. Well, that $54 million from that transportation fund would be a good investment of that money, wouldn't it? And so all this stuff is, is, is interconnected. With respect to transportation and taking money away from the red line, well, how do you expect people without a car to get across the city to get to their jobs without ample transportation. With housing, we've got something called the HOME Act, that the House passed that the Senate should pass before. We've got housing discrimination that's alive and well in Maryland with respect to sources of income. If you can't afford to live in an area of opportunity, how can you avail yourselves of that world-class education in the public school system? Or how can you have live in an area without food deserts? So all this stuff is interconnected. We just have a fundamental difference as to which approach we want to take to get there. And look, and it all does go back to economics. I mean, for young black men between 20 and 24, the unemployment rate in Baltimore City was close to 40 percent. That compared to 10 percent for whites. Um, nearly 30 percent, or 25 percent of Baltimore City's population is living below the poverty line. And this, this, is, this is all goes back to economics. And there are several ways in which we from the state legislature can infuse the right amount of money and energy to build this city back up to where it needs to be. Corey? I'm glad that he let a delegate uh, get in there. So, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I think that, um, you know, one of the things that we don't hear about is the y- young people. And recreation, obviously, investment that the state could do for more uh, for our uh, recreation in Baltimore City. We're having challenges with it. And I think that that's why you see uh, young people doing some of the craziest things um, they could be doing. Also, in reference to when we had our uh, uh, situation with Freddie Gray, uh, the state stepped up. The city stepped up, and they made sure that every youth that wanted a job went to work, uh, Mark. They went to work with a, through a program called YouthWorks. It was minimum wage. It was for six weeks, but it taught a lot. It teaches people work ethic. It teaches people. It puts them around a different climate than they're used to. And the challenge is when I was knocking doors this year, I met Miss Felicia, and she talked about how her daughter had got denied uh, for uh, YouthWorks because she made because of her income. I said, well, YouthWorks don't work like that. And when I reached out to the MOED uh, director, Jason Perkins Cohen, he said, we only put 8000 to work this year. So here we go from putting every young person that wanted to go to work because of the state's investment, because of the philanthropic, because of the city, and everybody stepping back, stepping up. They all stepped back in 2017. And you say, these folks, it was minimum wage that we were talking about. It's six weeks of 
opportunity for young people that we're talking about, and those are avenues that we could do. I also agree with the senator. The senator shot off some great numbers. It's not in a lot of neighborhood safe streets, but the one that I represent in McElgery Park is where the crime isn't happening at with the violent crime. And then I will go back to pay sick leave and a minimum wage with $15 an hour. We, we, we talk about economics, and that's why we're in the trouble that we're in within Baltimore City. So when we talk about Berea, which has 50% poverty, McElgy Park, 42% poverty, Johnson Square and Oliver, 38% poverty, the people that don't make $15, the people that don't have pay sick leave actually look like me. So they're brown and black people in those poor neighborhoods that's inflicting a lot of harm uh, on other neighborhoods, and we have to bring them up. We can't keep putting our foot on their neck and say, hey, you're good enough for $10, $11, and you'll work two $10 jobs or three $10 jobs to try to uh, uh, sustain. We have to lift those people up. So let me ask the three of you this question, though, this is in the time we have left, which is not much here. But I, I wanted to get to this point. that So we've talked a lot here about our thoughts about where Baltimore, the, 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 the social economic conditions of the city from different perspectives. But if this debate takes place in the state legislature, a dollar to a donut, the debate's going to be about what we have to do in terms of public safety and, and the police and locking more people up uh, and, and clamping down because of the violent crime and the fear that does exist in the city in many neighborhoods. And people are terrified in some neighborhoods, and people are really concerned in the city of Baltimore where we're, where we're going with all this. How do you have the debate about the broader issues that affect us long term while people are panicked about the short term? Well, you still got short-term answers like state troopers that used to work the Bel Air Road, Hoff Road, Washington Boulevard corridor, the probation officers that are not in our police districts that could take care of violent offenders. I don't think that it always need to be legislation. There's certain things that we could do immediately right now. So we have long-term answers and we have short-term answers. So Senators, what do you think? I mean, how, how does that debate take place since of these really two very divergent things we're talking about here in some people's minds? Let me start with Senator Norman and then go to Senator Smith. Well, I respect the delegate and the senator on the phone with. But we disagree. We just disagree. I'm a law and order conservative. And when I was growing up, I lived over in Baltimore County near the Hickey School, and bad children went to Montrose for the Hickey School. And there were policy decisions made that were not going to have the same repercussions for violent conduct. And those decisions were made long before any of us went to to the legislature. All of the policies that have failed in Baltimore City are not the policies of conservative law and order legislators. They are the other side of the aisle. I mean, that's absolutely all the decisions have been made by people who think they're doing society well. I mean, we did away with the capital, capital punishment. If they ever catch the killer of this police detective, and if he gets the most that's ever going to happen is life imprisonment. That's the most. So why wouldn't he kill two prison guards in an attempt to escape? Because the worst that will happen is life imprisonment. And that's a decision that most legislators went along with, that that was okay. Now, we've had two deputies killed in Hartford County, and I can assure you in Hartford County, there would still be a death penalty in the state of Maryland. But it was a decision made that there should not be severe repercussions. And that is the, that's how Baltimore City's been run for decades. I'm getting choked up there. Sorry about that. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> that's okay. I, I appreciate the passion. I really do. Senator Smith? 
No, I think that the city has been run in a way for decades that it, 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 you're seeing the result of that, right? You're seeing the result of, of policies that have locked up people's mandatory minimums. You're seeing policies that have disproportionately affected and, and targeted African-American communities. That's why you've got a third of our jail population costing us over $230, $25 million a year to incarcerate people from Baltimore City every year. And when folks come back, what opportunities do they have when they're straddled with these sentences? So look, I mean, there's no doubt that we have uh, a crisis. 344 homicides in 2015, 353, I think, in what? In 2016, there was 318, and we're up to 317, uh, I think, this year already in, in, at the end of uh, November. So there's an immediate crisis. One thing is I don't think we need to shift back to the what's gotten us here in the first place, which is those mandatory minimums. You can't incarcerate your way out of drug or violent crime. But the, the consent decree and the oversight task force, you know, those recommendations that came out of there for more community policing, training, um, engagement, uh, those are some of the things that have an immediate effect and that have the city has shifted away from in the way that it polices the community. So you're talking about the more immediate stuff. I mean, there's that, that stuff right there on the paper that we can do today and that the legislature can incentivize today um, from misconduct investigations and more community involvement in those oversights, more citizen involvement in those oversights, so that there's more investment and understanding and transparency in the police department to uh, better training for stops, searches, arrests. Um, all of these things uh, is build a better community and instill in the community a better sense of trust with the police force and vice versa. So those are some of the things you can do today. Um, I, I still, I'll put stomp this again. It's, it's all about the economics, and that's a long-term solution. But in the immediate, this is something we can do. And as, as we go in the legislature, I, for one, will not be voting for uh, any sort of mandatory minimum for folks um, that we, again, will straddle in this cycle of having a, a, a harsh criminal record and zero opportunity um, when they get out. Um, I think that our policies need to be based on giving someone an initial opportunity based instead of a, a second chance that's why i think the economics are important but you know that's that's where we are today I think there's a fundamental difference between you know, where i'm coming from i think where Corey mccray is coming from versus where uh senator norman's coming from and let me get a closing thought from you here Delegate yep. mccray i think that obviously uh i agree with uh senator smith but i think that me and senator norman have some things in common i think that it is the career politicians that have been in office for 20 or 30 years um, that have caused some of the disparities in reference to investments in other neighborhoods versus old neighborhoods, the inequities in uh, some neighborhoods versus old neighborhoods. And I think that one of the things is is that we saw with this new city council where we elected eight new people to kind of change and shift the direction and say that they don't want to support the policies that uh, those folks that have been there for 20 or 30 years, and they support more like what Senator Smith and Corey McRae is uh, thinking about in reference to not having these mandatory minimums and things that nature because we saw that they were failed policies. So I think when Senator Norman talked about the career politicians of Baltimore City that has been self-inflicted uh, the wounds, I think that it's a new generation of leaders that's willing to step up and make sure that we can have answers for our great city of Baltimore. I want to thank uh, Delegate Corey McRae, Democrat who represents the 45th District here in Baltimore City, where we're broadcasting from, uh, and uh, State Senator William C. Smith, Jr., who represents District 20 in Montgomery County, and Senator Wayne Norman, Jr., who represents District 35 and Cecil in Harper County, for joining us here on this podcast leading up to the Annapolis Summit. 
talking about the future of Baltimore and crime and what may be happening in this next legislative session. Gentlemen, thank you all so much. It's a great thank opportunity. Thank you for inviting Thanks, Mark. Thank you, Mark. Thanks for having us. Pleasure. So please join us for the 15th Annual Annapolis Summit. It's being sponsored by The Daily Record and the Center for Emerging Media. We'll be hosting Governor Larry Hogan, Senate President Mike Miller, and House Speaker Michael Bush. It's your chance to ask questions of the leaders of the state as they ponder what happens in this legislative session. You don't want to miss it. It's the event of the session. It happens on the opening day of the 2018 General Assembly session. We have breakfast together at 7.30. 8 o'clock, we will begin with Governor Larry Hogan. And then we talk with Senate President Mike Miller and House Speaker Michael Bush at the Governor Calvert House in Annapolis. For more information and tickets, you can write Susan Fishner Hutner. That's Susan at S-H-U-E-T-T-N-E-R at BridgetowerMedia.com. Tickets going fast, so join us. It's the event of the year. Thanks for listening to our podcast. This program was produced and edited by Calvin Perry with assistance from our intern, Nora Belbidia. You can download the podcast and more at steinershow.org and on iTunes or on your favorite podcasting app. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for The Mark Steiner Show. And please let us know what you think. Write me at mark at steinershow.org. We'll be back in a couple more days with a brand new podcast.